0: August 22nd, 2021, Day 8, Part B, 9.45 a.m. I'm reading a bed this morning with a mug of chai tea, which always just feels so indulgent and just so innocently good. I'm reading on my Kindle, which does feel less indulgent than an old-fashioned paper book, but still, it's good. And I'm reading the book Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism by Amanda Montell. So it's nonfiction fiction instead of one of my summer escape books about a strong and smart and driven woman and her romantic life. But it reads like fiction, and it is so damn interesting. It's about how so many aspects of the wellness, fitness, and social media communities operate like mini cults. The specialized language, the devotion, the prioritization, the obsessive actions, rule following, rigid aspects, controlling components. Now, obviously... CrossFit is not Scientology, and Instagram spirituality wellness influencers are not Nexium. But the languaging used has some striking similarities, and how that language, rule following, and sense of belonging gets in the way of critical thinking and actual health and happiness. The one thing that really struck me, because it's something that drives me nuts with some of the women I know in woo, woo Southern California, but I didn't have a name for the concept, is this thing called thought terminating cliches. These are automatic phrases people say in specific circumstances, like everything happens for a reason or it's meant to be, which is in the same vein as the religious versions of God has his reasons Or, God has his reasons and it's not our place to question him. Or, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Other ones include, it's all good. Or how about when you post to Facebook that your father has died and someone responds, he's in a better place now. And you know what I think about that? Go fuck yourself, you sanctimonious prick. A response like that makes the person posting feel better and feel good about themselves. It's incredibly selfish and self-centered. And except for the uber-religious people on the receiving end, for most people, it's telling them that they shouldn't be sad because that's selfish. I love the term thought-terminating cliché because it's exactly what they do. You're trying to have a deep and meaningful conversation with someone about a difficult and complex topic, and they tell you, you're overthinking this, or you analyze things too much. What they effectively do in that moment is halt all conversation because they feel confused or overwhelmed or more likely emotionally uncomfortable in some way. And instead of being present and responsible with that, they throw out a thought terminating cliche and shut you down. And they trivialize and undermine the thoughts and emotions that you're having. And you might notice I'm pretty fired up about this example because I have experienced this recently. And I told the other person that they are trivializing what mattered to me and it was rude. But I am thrilled now to have this language as an explanation tool. Here's a few more to think about. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so it goes. Try to look on the bright side. It is what it is. It's common sense. It's always darkest before the dawn. And as my mom used to say, it will all be better by the time you're married. Which is particularly funny because I'm 48 and I've chosen never to get married so far. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's funny 12.39pm oh hell what has happened to my apartment in the last week I've had my head so far up my own ass with this project I didn't realize the crap that's piled up the dish is in the sink and I have a whole colony of new friends living with me in the apartment my new friends the fruit flies 1.43pm I'm on the phone with my parents and trying to explain my week I think at first my mom thought I was out having a week full of sex with strangers and then writing on it. I reassured her that I didn't actually do anything per se, but went out a lot more and met strangers and played with my energy. They are in their mid to late 70s and have lived in Pennsylvania their whole lives. I'm Struggling how to translate what I've been doing in terms that will make sense. My dad asks if I'm writing a how-to-date guide, which is a totally logical question based on what I've described, but still not accurate, as you know. I did tell them, though, that if I ever published this in any form, that they should not read it or listen to it. And they were both fine with that. And since I'm mentioning my parents again, I want to once again give them a shout out, even though they're not listening to this, of praise and appreciation. Their level of support and caring and unconditional love in the midst of my unconventional and taboo field has always been a source of emotional and mental stability for me. They've even been guests on my video series and podcasts, and I share stories about them in my public speaking. I know I'm incredibly lucky. 3.25 p.m. I just meditated for about 15 minutes. (sighs) I started with a few deep breaths through my nose, where I fill my belly up to my chest with air, and then full longer exhale out of my mouth. And then I settled into a comfortable pattern of breathing just through my nose. Then I conducted an abdominal body scan, meaning that I spent a couple of minutes visually in in my mind's eye, moving my focus around inside my abdomen area and genitals, and then visually a scan on the surface areas. Again, all in my mind's eye. I wanted to see if this helped increase my awareness of the nuances of what I was feeling in that area. And it seemed to do so. Then I started repeating some of the words that I landed on in the past week. Like open, sensual, receptive, fun. And as I repeated those words, I cultivated a sense of spacious warmth in my inner lower abdomen. And then I shifted to concentrating on feeling an expansive warmth in my chest. And if you've ever paid attention to what deep gratitude or compassion feels like, totally feels like that. And then I had a sense of a channel between the two, my chest area and my lower abdomen, and that it was opening up like it was unfolding, which then brought about a sense of appreciation and happiness. And to conclude the self-guided meditation, I placed my left hand over my heart area and cradled the bottom of my belly with my right hand. I continued to feel what seemed like an open connection between the two, and a warmth towards myself. The meditation led me to another point of reflection. (sighs) This piece of slowing down. My brain moves so fast around these topics, and my emotional awareness too. But slowing all of this down is what that sensual peace feels like dropping back into my body, and this continual balancing of kindness and compassion towards men and kindness and compassion towards myself. This is an ongoing struggle and an ongoing pulling back of the layers of awareness and undoing socialization as a woman in our society to continually recalibrate that balance in a way that feels in integrity with who I want to be as a woman, as a sexual being, as a lover, as a professional, and as one who engages in everyday intimacy. 4.05 p.m. I finally made it back to the beach where this all started one week ago. Seems appropriate to the return to the beach where this idea started. It's sort of overcast, but still beautiful here. I'm settled down on a sarong-type blanket, different than the one that was ripped almost in half a week earlier. And I'm listening to an Audible book on how to be a better storyteller. And also finally checking out the ebook by Betty Martin about her wheel of consent. Her work is around the nuances of sexual energies. Serving. Taking. Allowing. Accepting. It feels very relevant to my challenge this week. 4.54 p.m. Damn it, it's chilly and windy and cloudy here. Time for my final activity of the week. I want to sit back at the same bar at Tower 23, actually get that glass of Prosecco this time, and type up my notes and recordings, and type up the ideas that come to me at the bar. Plus, like my reason for returning to the beach, this is a fitting conclusion to my romantic novel adventure of a week without any actual dating or actual sex. Though, you know, except with myself. And dating myself and sex with myself, it's not a bad thing. 5.22 p.m. Okay, it seems very unlikely that I'm going to be pulling out my iPad to work because the married heterosexual couple to my left at the bar is chatting with me already, and they seem interesting and fun. But I will at least pull out my little pink sparkly notebook and a pen so I can jot down notes as needed. No one seems to think it's weird that I've been taking notes this week. Maybe because once they learn of my field and work, they think it's normal? Or maybe it just feels validating that someone actually wants to write down something that they're saying and that what they're saying and thinking is important enough or interesting enough for a professional write down. I remember when I was in Mexico City a few years ago at an international sexual health conference and I had an informal lunch with a senior editor at The Atlantic and she asked if I minded if she took some notes of what I was saying. Seriously, that was like the biggest compliment and best feeling ever. There is a single-looking, age-appropriate guy at the bar. Apparently, he's an engineer who's visiting from Tucson, Arizona, which I know, only because the woman in the couple I'm sitting next to was trying to facilitate a romantic match. (laughs) Another woman, a lawyer, sat down next to him for about 20 minutes, and they chatted, but then she left, and eventually he left. He glanced down my way a few times, and I considered being more forward or having my new friends introduce me, but something didn't feel right about his energy. He didn't feel friendly to me or welcoming. All right, it looks like I'm settling in to really chat and get to know this couple at the bar. We're already talking sex education and how she is very upfront and detailed with discussing sex education in age-appropriate ways with her kids, which I just think is fantastic. 6.11 p.m. A much older gentleman and a woman who does not feel like his wife, but is also much older, just sat down to my right at the bar. He is loud and demanding, and she seems to be a bit giggly with him and his antics, which is not my favorite gender dynamic to have to hear and watch. He has that old, loud, white, male entitlement vibe with the belief that he's very clever and funny, but I assure you, my listener friends, he is not. He feels cliche not clever he asked me if I knew the area that we're in and where a certain bar was the name sounded familiar but I didn't think it was in Pacific Beach which is where we are so I grabbed my phone and I looked it up and I said oh it's in Ocean Beach which unfortunately was not walking distance from where we were and then I went back to chatting with my new friends to my left a little while later I hear the dude talking loudly again this time to the bartender as he gestures towards me She doesn't even know where the other bar is, and she lives here. I asked for help, and she didn't know how to tell me how to get there. I turned to him and cocked my head to the side and then said, Yeah, well, it's called fucking Google, buddy. Look it up yourself. And then there's a pause and quiet. And I wonder if my choice of ways to handle this douche canoe crossed the definitive line of decorum. And then he erupts in laughter, and the woman bursts out laughing, and even the bartender is trying to contain his laughter. And then the douche canoe buys me and my new friends a round of drinks. 6.45 p.m. Old school douchey dude turns and asks us what we all do work-wise. So the other woman and I briefly tell him, and he totally dismisses both of us as if he's not really listening, and then he only wants to hear from the man about what he does for work. And I gotta say, to this dude's credit, he totally fucks with the douche canoe for doing that. He goes on to tell him that his job is teaching teenage girls all about tampons. Why to use them, how to use them. He even pulls out a pen and starts making tampon drawings on a cocktail napkin. The older douchey dude cannot tell if he's kidding or not. And I keep nodding my head and saying, I know it's an odd field of work for a man to be in, but it's so important that he does this education. Oh, it was fucking brilliant and ridiculously entertaining. The married couple and I exchanged numbers before I left to be able to keep in touch with each other through text. 8:36 p.m. I'm home. Ooh, ah, this past week has been a lot more alcohol than I'm used to, and a lot more socializing with strangers for periods of time. But it's also been incredibly interesting and fun in the challenge of it. I spent more money than I usually do on food and drink, and I also had the kindness of strangers occasionally buying me food and drinks. And this was interesting. The wife I was talking to was vaccinated but the husband was not. But I could not believe the values and perspectives that we had in common. I didn't ask the why of their decisions around vaccines, because I'm trying on new ways of interacting this week. And I was pleasantly surprised by how interesting the conversation was and how well we could connect with each other. I don't know that I would have given it a chance if I wasn't doing things differently this week. 9.09 p.m. I'm going to write up my end-of-day reflections and questions, and then I'm going to go masturbate. Seems like a fitting and pleasurable way to end this week of erotic energy. Socializing, flirting, deep personal vulnerability and reflection. And I want to see if I can intentionally merge the emotions and energy that I was playing with in meditation this afternoon into my masturbatory experience. My two vibrators have been patiently waiting on my bedside table all week for me to revisit and appreciate. And I definitely appreciate them. And, well, you know, Trevor Noah is also waiting for me.